0: Hi, this is Tamson Granger
1: and this is Dan Abuhoff.
0: Tamson and Dan read the paper on Monday June something 12th.
1: Okay it's close 2023. enough. 2023. It's close enough
0: for me. It's uh you know it's summer. Yeah. It's finally raining. Yes. Hallelujah. Yeah. In in our area yeah. of the country we are having quite the drought. Quite the drought yes. A dry spell. low. Yeah. On uh, precipitation, we didn't have that much snow, and we haven't had much uh, spring rain. So
1: we're getting it now.
0: Is we, uh, you know, we're getting some of it. We're, we're like six or seven inches behind. All right,
1: we'll get there. So, we'll
0: get there. hallelujah! Glad to see
1: it. All right, so uh, good. Don't jinx it. The uh, we've had a, getting
0: ready for Flag Day.
1: No, we had a busy weekend. It's coming up. We had a busy weekend. June 14th. Good.
0: Happy anniversary.
1: Yeah. Two. I would guess Nico and Granger, but yes. it's a wild guess. Yes,
0: their wedding anniversary is coming up this yeah. week as well. All right. All right.
1: But was, speaking of which, we watched Hazy on Sunday night. Yes. Sun, Sunday all day and Sunday night. Yeah. And uh, he's a delight. I don't understand all these stories about his, uh, you know, acting out a little bit. No such thing. He's a cutie pie. He was an angel. Huh? An angel. An angel.
0: You know, I just think uh, it's so clever of yeah. Mother Nature to yeah. program grandparents to be so in love with the grandchildren. I mean, I it's, it's pure survival, right? Yeah, maybe. But, uh, you know, it, it seems to work. Yes. I would do anything for those grandchildren. Yes,
1: he can do no wrong, that boy. Do no wrong. Uh, and, and as a result, uh, we For no wa-
0: particular reason. What? I'm telling you, you, it's just chemistry. You are programmed no, no, no. to feel no, that no, way about your grandchildren no, no, so
1: that they will survive. You, we just have the right grandchildren. You, you know, you could, uh, it could, it could have gone differently. Um, so we didn't watch the Tony Sunday night cause, uh, we got our hands full with what's his name, but, uh, but you... Have some feelings about the Tonys. I know you have something. Do you I to, have feelings about that's the Tonys? That's what you told me.
0: First of all, I, I, I've been reading articles about it. Yeah, it might have been a fairly decent show.
1: Really, I, I read a negative article. Oh, so really? Good for you. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, so there is that. Yeah. Okay. And, well, the uh, key
1: thing was they had no writers. That was the big deal, right? Yeah. Because of the writing strikes.
0: Right. So they said that without these stupid, uh, you know, written yeah. riffs. You know, between presenters or whatever, yes. it
1: was much better. Well, I that can clearly help. You're right. You're right. That's a possibility.
0: Um, so, but anyway, and uh, but I guess Kimberly Akimbo.
1: Kimberly is Kim the big winner, and uh, we saw that off Broadway. <laughs> right, we saw it, and we highly enjoyed it. We liked it. But we suspected it
0: would not be a success on Broadway because
1: it's an extremely thin show. Uh, a slip no, it's of a, a show. Small, it's, a small, it's a small show. It's a small show. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a
0: bonbon. That.
1: Yes, it's a bonbon. And yet, here it is, winning the Tony for Best Musical, which uh, I fear says something about the competition because, you know, it's not uh, My Fair Lady. But uh, what are you going to do? Uh, I, I, I like well, I enjoy it'll be the show. It's
0: interesting to see if it's remotely a financial success.
1: Uh, sure, it will be. It, I think it's already a financial success. Because oh, it, really? Because it's not an expensive show to put on. I mean, it just isn't.
0: Everything seems expensive.
1: Uh, if there's anything that's an inexpensive show, it's that one. So uh, I and, think they're doing and fine.
0: And the best play was Leopold Style. Which
1: we're seeing on Thursday. Yeah. Which okay. We've
0: been wanting to see. Yeah. And I am a Stom a Popper, Tom Stopper fan.
1: Stomp. Is that a play on words? Tom Stopper, dear. No,
0: that was a that was a stumble.
1: A stumble. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, so we'll see that uh, on Thursday. Any other thoughts? And we'll report back. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts about no. uh, the Tonys? No, I was uh, surprised. Do you think they're
0: relevant at all in this series? Oh, it, it, it's
1: always, I don't know if relevant means anything. It's always for the purpose of publicizing the productions and getting people to take a look and uh, pushing theater. I mean, that's the idea. That's all it is. It's PR. It's not, I,
0: mean, I wouldn't take
1: it too seriously.
0: In some ways, the star of the show was really the venue, Yes. Grand Palace. Yes. yes. Uh, Marvelous old booby theater in Washington Heights on yes.
1: the north side of uh, New Yeah, I York assume City. that's 110th Street or something like that. But yeah, it was a place, you told me it was a. Movie, uh,
0: it was a grand mo- movie palace.
1: Yes, that was in, in Lin Manuel Miranda's neighborhood growing up, and he had no idea it was there. Right, which doesn't make right. any sense at all.
0: They say he found out about it in two thousand thirteen.
1: Yeah, well, he had been grown up for quite some time by then, so that doesn't make any sense. And,
0: uh, and well, um, but what does make sense is that he has invested heavily in the the renovation. What doesn't make sense to me? Yeah. Is that that building survived wow. and survived intact?
1: You're saying it, it for many it, years.
0: It was not a movie theater. It was a um, a, a site for evangelical, evangelical church, church. church. church, Yeah, sure. And uh, you know when when people not in the arts own a building.
1: Yeah, but this, this, you this, know
0: they. Oh, come on. There are many, many, many great buildings have been reused and recycled, and right, you know. Because- And things—it's hard to maintain the decor. So drywall gets put up. Yes, right. You know why? Because
1: those places don't have money. Evangelical churches—a lot of them are raising a lot of money.
0: Really, that's your theory?
1: Yeah, it's not a theory. It's fact. A lot of them raise a lot of money there, and it's proven by the shape that this is in. They obviously had the money to maintain it, and they felt it was important. For their activities and for their attracting members and contributions, so there are economic reasons for this, and it makes perfect sense to me. Doesn't surprise me.
0: Didn't we just have a story a few weeks ago about an evangelical church that was tearing down and throwing away uh, Tiffany windows? It doesn't. Well, some were successful. Not always. This was a a
1: successful. They they mentioned the pastor; he's very well known. There are some very successful evangelical churches there. And that's what this was.
0: Yes. I don't dispute that, but they don't always have a sensitivity to okay. art and architecture. All right. So that was that was lucky. Okay. Moving right along. Moving
1: right along. Let's talk about basketball, because I know that's what you want to talk about. So the NBA season is about to end. You would think they're in the finals now. Like, I feel
0: like, is this late? No, I feel it's like, always this way. I, you know, I feel like... You
1: know, it's always this way.
0: And I don't feel like they said we're in May back in no, the day. No, no, no.
1: It's always this way, and you always feel this way. It's always this way, and you say to me, is the season continuing? And the answer is yes and yes. I mean, so,
0: basketball is something you should play when it's cold outside. No,
1: no that's absolutely not true. You need, you need an indoor Most sport. basketball is played outdoors in the summertime. So uh, let me and handle it, it.
0: And hockey, too.
1: Well, I, I'm not getting into hockey.
0: Hockey, seems definitely hockey is definitely winter like a winter sport. Yes, I agree These with are that. both winter sports. No, they're not. It's not no. winter.
1: Now, basketball is a summer sport. Mm. So, in any event, uh, Denver's up 3-1 against Miami in the finals. They should probably win the fourth game tonight, and that will be that. And Denver's a lot of fun, and a lot of people have talked about Denver, so there's no mysteries there. Um, but uh, there is a very interesting player on Denver that I hadn't heard much about before who's, who's a sub because he's a rookie, and his name is Christian Brown, although it's spelled B-R-A-U-N. And, and the funny thing is that uh, I had seen him before because he was in the NCAA tournament last year as a prominent player for Kansas, which was very successful. But, you know, it, it's hard to imagine him getting a lot of playing time for Denver. And I can't say he does. But in the, in the critical, uh, what are we up to? The uh, third game, In the critical third game, he had a tremendous game. And he scored almost 20 points uh, coming off the bench. And the announcers were going crazy. He says, Where's this guy coming from? He's you know, it's like a shooting comet. You know, whatever, whatever. And um, he played extremely well. So I found an article just telling his story. And the interesting part about his story is um, his mother. Okay, the deal was this: that uh, <laughs> he, when Christian Brown was in third grade. His mother, Lisa, and her husband, Don, started the traveling basket program in his area. When the team was first formed, Don, who played collegiately at St. Louis University, was the coach. He did not stay in that role for long. And here's the quote from Lisa Brown. My husband is more soft-hearted than I am. Quote, everybody played and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I play to win right so what happened she replaced her husband she said to him quote step aside we coach a lot differently now i should tell you that lisa brown brown was a big star at the university of missouri basketball team so they both Mm -hmm. had basketball pedigree but she's the one with the driving personality um And this article I have goes on and on to talk about the reasons why she had a military father, became her high school principal. But in any event, she uh, is a driving, brutally honest mom. And I interviewed his Christian Brown's high school coach. And he said that during high school games, Lisa would say stuff and people would ask me, do you ever get mad about what she's saying? And I would say, no, she's saying the same stuff I'm saying. It wasn't like, shoot the ball, like you hear parents nowadays, it was like, hey, would you stay in front of the man and play some defense? That was your rebound. You know, that's the person she was. And uh, he so, said.
0: So he's saying that's constructive Yes, he criticism? said. Yes, he's constructive
1: okay. criticism, hard driving coach, highly competitive. And that's what the way this kid plays. I mean, he plays, he's pushing all the time, he's going 100%, he's diving for loose balls, and he's screaming during timeouts mm-hmm. into the air. So, I don't know. So she pushed her husband aside. Her husband is an NCAA Division One collegiate basketball player. And she said, enough of this nonsense, Don. I'm taking charge. So, there you go.
0: Yeah, but, uh, you know. Then there's You know, in two weeks, there's going to be uh, an article about how, you know, she was abusive.
1: No, well, I don't think so. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. Any event, uh, an unusual story. All right, let's go back to the lifeguard story because we've talked about this before, but now there's a new spin on it.
0: Well, yeah, another spin on it. I mean, there's still a lifeguard shortage. I don't even really understand. I mean, this is everywhere. Yes. Right? I don't well, understand I, well,
1: it. Well, I, uh, forget everywhere. We don't know about everywhere. We only know about no, our no, region. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. They have a hard time. In, uh, in making Georgia? I mean, what, what do you no, mean by everywhere? Yeah. Uh, Princeton, New Jersey?
1: Yeah. Well, that's not everywhere, honey. That's where we live. Well, like, It's everywhere in our region. In our region, okay? All right. All right.
0: Um, I don't really get it. Uh, It seems like a a pretty accessible summer job. Well, the
1: Times is explaining
0: it. Well, the Times is explaining it just for New York City. Even so. Okay. And the deal in New York City, and they're saying that uh, as... All right. So um, last year, there was also a shortage, okay? And um, by the time the pools opened... New York City had only lined up like 500 and some lifeguards and they worked like crazy Mm -hmm. um, over the course of the next month to get up to 900. I mean normally, you know, typically in, in 2016 the city had like 1600 life right but, okay? but it's a fraction. Uh, we got right? it. But so they, what's the reason crazy, though? What's the reason? This year they only they have less than 500, right. okay? And out of the 500, you know, um oh, the 480 they have lined up right now. Yeah. 280 are returning normally at least 500 return. so what is the deal and the deal turns out to be unions
1: it's for the times okay
0: so according to the times and of course it's it's the usual article you know the um, people on one side say it's the unions there's this one guy who's in total control and uh you know he's a jerk he's power hungry whatever and um, and the union people say no, that's not at all true. That's, well, that's but it's that's not about the individual. The but, but
1: but you know, it's not even about the individual. First of all, I don't know if it's true. I'm just telling. I just noticed the Times reported this, but w- the way unions affect this is this: it's becoming a television series. Did you notice that? What is?
0: The, the whole problem with lifeguards no, and I the unions, yes. Really? It's,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but, but the union issue is this. It doesn't make any difference about any individual's personality. The point is what unions do, and some people celebrate it and some people complain about it, is that they impose stringent requirements, as stringent as possible. Why? To protect their union members. But to the extent that you put up impediments to other people joining a profession, that protects the people in the profession. There are fewer of them they can command a premium for what they do. That's what and that's what unions do generally, or right. can do. All right, and, and so that's what they're doing here.
0: They're protecting uh, the existing
1: some, lifeguards. Right,
0: I understand that, but they they need more lifeguards. I'm not defending the unions.
1: I'm just saying that it's not. It doesn't surprise me. So you're right. You're absolutely right.
0: They've had problems with people passing the test.
1: Right, but they're not okay? going to. They're not going to lessen. And they their don't want to water it down
0: water it down right. exactly but for right now you know a lot of people are failing the 50 yard swim which has to be done in 35 seconds right okay and uh, they're reluctant to extend it to 45 but it looks like they may um, do that
1: well look, right, what, what,
0: what, this year um you know and uh, so it just seems they've also well there's not only that, they've also they were reluctant, they were not showing up for the negotiating. Yeah. Um, well, that's the way you avoid making changes. Meetings, Look, the details
1: the details are the details, but the idea that the Times, who is very pro union, is writing an article saying, you know what's the problem here? The unions, makes you think that it's really a problem because the Times would not say that otherwise.
0: Oh, you really think so? Oh,
1: absolutely. The Times is not going to criticize the union. Yeah, so so uh, but
0: And and since there are jobs to be had Since there is, there's a need. There's a need all over the area, whether you want to admit it or not.
1: Oh, I agree. For lifeguards,
0: um, people who you know, some of the pool are just uh, going out uh, of the city to work. Yeah, for you know the same jobs.
1: Some of the people who would work as lifeguards in New York City are going to other places are, are to giving work. Giving up and not, yeah, uh, because and not, not bothering because it's too to go. Well, the rigmarole. because it, yeah, because it's a rigmarole because there are all these bureaucratic requirements. But we should talk about the big article. I'm sorry, the big story on WPIX News about the program. Right. Well. At Saint Benedict's. Right for training lifeguards.
0: Well, I mean, we're you know, we're all sensitive to this. We have a lot of uh, people in the family in the swimming biz, yes. okay, in the water polo biz. And uh, Nico, Hazi's mom, yes. is aquatic director at uh, St. Benedict's. Right. And one of the things that they've been doing there, she's been doing, is she's put together a lifeguard training program, mm-hmm. and uh, St. Benedict's is allowing the, them to offer it at uh, a greatly you know, a comparatively discounted rate yeah. to try to, A, and help uh, Newark area pools uh, get staffing and, B, help, you know, find jobs. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, when or, you say reduced rate, at one quarter the normal rate. So uh, it's 25% of the rate. So it's clearly a, a service. And, of course, we and everyone else knows about this because Channel 11 WPIX television did a televised story on the St. Benedict program featuring, you guessed it, Nico, talking about the program. So there she was on television. Yes. She's famous.
0: his mom.
1: his mom.
0: It was on TV. Um, no, so, yeah. And uh, so, good. Uh, good to know. Something like that is happening. Again, I just, I feel swimming is really important because it can save your life, okay? Playing basketball... Probably never will save your life. Oh, you never know. Learning to swim can.
1: Yes, but this is not yeah. learning to swim. This is being a lifeguard. So, so you're saying that the, the more pools the, are open, the, the more people can swim.
0: Uh, more people will learn to swim. Also, the idea of. Swimming lessons in Newark is mm. to broaden the demographic, yes. make this accessible yes. to people not just going to country clubs, yeah. you know, or uh, no, fancy, would, yeah. Uh, yeah. expensive beach clubs. But the headline right.
1: is Nico is now a celebrity. That's the important thing to keep in mind. All right. Uh, all right. Good. All right. So the postcard you have talked about the book the postcard. Well, I Post. just
0: wanted I just wanted to mention you know that we, we didn't get around to talking about it last week, but uh, last Sunday there were articles all over the place, yeah. reviews and articles about Anne Bréts The Postcard, yeah. which is uh, basically a novelization of the story of uh, her family yeah. and the Holocaust. And uh, turns out it's a good read. Yeah. I read it. It is. It's a good summer read, not because it's a light, fluffy, silly thing, mm. but because it is very readable. Okay, uh, very accessible, but fascinating, engrossing, um, and of course, uh, you know, uh, upsetting uh, to uh, kind of well, it be was... in the scene. Right, be she takes you into uh, the history, into the um, you know. Uh, the lives of the people who uh, in her family and uh, how they were rounded up and uh, what they did to try to avoid um being uh, rounded up by the Germans etc mm-hmm. and uh, and and very interesting you know that um, real sort of tension of believing you know we are French <laughs> okay yeah. why are people doing this to us and uh You know, being told, no, you're not French, you're Jewish.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, so this was, as I understand it, a big book in France and in Europe generally. And it's just, it's here now because it was just translated. So it, it was officially released the translator version a yeah. week or two ago. And I'm impressed by the fact that it is not a thin book. It looks like it's a substantial book, I would guess three oh, or four hundred uh, pages. it a pretty
0: big font. And really, uh, and really the chapters are yeah, but you, a good by two. You read chapters. it in like a week. It's very readable. It's yeah. very readable. It um, it's based on the actual research that she and her mother did. Mm-hmm. And the trail of the research is also very interesting. You know, I love archival research myself. Yeah. And uh, so That was interesting to me and uh, just extremely poignant. And also, there was an interesting thread through it of, you know, the um, looking back, finding out, um, knowing about your family, uh, finding things you had
1: no idea
0: uh, about. uh, Yeah, she was... Honoring your
1: memory. She knew nothing about this story until she started this investigation. And also, she's not... She was not. I don't know what she is now. Religious at all. You know, like zero religious.
0: Zero religious.
1: And then suddenly she was drawn into this and it becomes a whole search. Yeah. And, and she,
0: yeah. Again, uh, learned more about herself yeah. even than uh, she learned about her relatives in some ways. All right. So, uh, The Postcard, right. Anne Barrest, uh, worth picking up and reading. Okay.
1: So, uh, George Winston passed away, and we're going to talk about him even though neither of us is are familiar. Neither of us is really particularly familiar with his music, although we've heard a little bit of it. Uh, but... We know fans of his music.
0: We know fans. Dixon, uh, Dixon Cuff, uh, and that's the main reason we we're struck by this obit, yeah. is because we know that Dixon is what... A huge fan. Yeah. And would make a point of uh, uh, going to his concerts, etc. Right. And, uh, you know, you always, uh, it's interesting when you know of somebody who has a real passion for a particular artist who doesn't seem like a rock star. But he was
1: to you, extremely you know? popular. You know, he had, he had sort of pieces or albums based on seasons, autumn being the most popular, December, as you'd expect. He's considered, a, sometimes described as a new age uh, performer, composer. He did a... Uh, he called his style, what was it? Rural Folk, Folk Piano. Piano. Yes. If that helps you. I mean,
0: he... Did he, he get, did he and Meryl Streep get a Grammy? Was that a Grammy? Yeah, yeah. Or, he won all kinds of awards for the uh, Velveteen Rabbit. Yeah, he uh, wrote the... He
1: was nominated for a Grammy for that. They didn't okay, win it.
0: for the music behind... Her reading of Velveteen Rabbit, right, and uh, one of Dixon's fond memories is listening to that recording.
1: Really, yeah. Uh, well, he uh, uh, he he was he won a Grammy for the best New Age album for Forest, so he was you know he's quite celebrated. What what you may not remember, Jonathan Schwartz, a million years ago would talk about George Winston once in a while. When we no, were listening to remember. WNEWAM, he said, he said there's this this guy from out of the blue. It's a very different sound, and I don't think he used the phrase "new age." So he was a big fan. And and Jonathan Schwartz was all about the American Songbook, uh, you know, Sinatra, uh, Bobby right. Darin, etc. So it was kind of odd to hear him talk about it. Uh, and he's kind of an interesting. Um, the way he developed is kind of interesting. Like he didn't really have that much in the way of uh real music lessons real music study as he was growing up and he got excited about possibly playing the piano by listening to the doors uh when he was a teenager in particular break on through to the other side which i can tell you was the wrong song to get excited about
0: but he was also excited about what the charlie brown yes music i'm more excited about yes well he later
1: did an album too about that you um, know was uh, it
0: vincent garibaldi yeah exactly and uh Garaldi, you know, mean, Vince Garaldi, Vince so Garaldi, what? Garaldi. Garaldi, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Doors on one side, you know, the Charlie Brown on the other side. Well, but How and, and then,
1: let me give you his final, and he also, he was enthralled by the recordings of Fats Waller. So you mix that up with Fats Waller, who of course we were talking about the other day because of the Giants' tight end, uh, and uh, who, you know, his grandson of Fats Waller, and um, all these influences and it's kind of crazy and, and, and he was he was the first one who meant his stuff is not for everybody he said he didn't enjoy being categorized uh, but he said as far as music is concerned it's all valid everybody's got their own path I wouldn't want to sit around and listen to me all day so, so uh, there you go um, so here's another musical figure who passed away Astro Gilberto and after Gilberto, it, I only mention it because it's it's an interesting story. Uh, she's, of course, uh, the singer that you hear when you hear the uh, much-played version of The Girl from Ipanema, the original, and that's the one that survived as the main recording of The Girl from Ipanema. But the story, you know, was really... You know. What? What?
0: In high school.
1: No, I, I, I got Houlton a feeling I don't Swing Choir. Oh, my God. Day oh day day my version. god a whole this is <laughs> my mind is, is is reeling at the thought
0: called, um the boy the boy for me, from me-, 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 me- a- well that's what
1: when a girl would sing it they would call it the boy for I- me i
0: you know i think it's the one yeah. where and the swing choir we sang and we kind of danced you, you, a little you didn't say okay? you were you didn't say
1: you were in this i was course. in
0: the swing choir oh my god and um was it, it, it started the the um Number would start with one person sort of yeah. um, crouched down on the stage with their back to the audience. So your butt is yeah. facing the audience. And that person was me. Oh my god! Oh my god! And then what happened? <laughs> and so, well, I, I don't know. There was a lot of like, uh, you know, snapping of fingers and so continue forth. with it with, with the butt but image. I have to say, we
1: did. Um,
0: so we performed that at some, you know function oh god um, yeah and
1: my parents were there oh my
0: mother was mortified well, well wait. <laughs> up in front of the end why was your
1: rear end facing the audience
0: because that's the way it was choreographed
1: so you were dancing with your rear end facing? no I
0: was, I was down i was crouched down hey. i don't know and then i stood up or something but the point is curtains open and there's my butt <laughs> oh, as far as my all mother right. was concerned. Hey, hey, um,
1: well. So, uh, so the story so, is, and obviously it's a great recording, but it's-, a, it's Astrid probably had more success. Uh, she did. So uh, it really marked the beginning of Bossa Nova in the US, and uh, the story here, as I tell it in the times, I'm sure it's true, uh, is that uh, her husband, uh, who was a Brazilian singer and guitarist, often referred to as the father of the Bossa Nova, Gil- Gilberto. Uh, traveled with Astrid uh, from Rio de Janeiro to New York City to record an album with Stan Getz, who was a great jazz saxophonist. And they started with this song, and the way they had planned to do it was uh, Joe was singing it in, in Portuguese.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, they're Brazilian, so they're singing it in Portuguese. And then somehow someone got the idea, and it's not clear who... While they were rehearsing, according to Astro, Joe casually asked Astro to join in and sing a chorus in English after he just sung the first chorus in Portuguese. Well, it turns out she did this very well. So when it came time to release the recording, they cut out all the Portuguese and they just had Astro's. English she wasn't really a celebrated singer maybe not even much of a professional singer but she had a very compelling voice which is described by the times uh they have a great description here of um uh, one could almost hear the surf breaking and the seagulls crying as she sang so uh, well,
0: that, well, that's true but i don't believe the story for a minute really why not it just doesn't, you know. What, she just pop up and she's a translation off the top of her head? Well, l- 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 well, well. They I, may I, have I, always I, had I, I, this. Uh, this oh. to me smells. Let
1: me let me give you a little more yeah. detail, okay? And, and this may this may support what you're saying, okay? So she becomes a star as a result of this, okay? And as a matter of fact, the other guy who has to buy in, who's the main guy in the recording, is Stan Getz, mm-hmm. and I've listened to this record. It's a great jazz record, and it's called Get uh, Gilberto. But it's really for the husband, Gilberto. Uh, And according to uh, uh, Astrid, again, uh, Stan was very supportive. Well, here's the real story. Uh, She left her husband and then took up with Stan. Okay? So uh, whether that fueled it, I don't. I'm not really
0: sure that supports. uh... Uh, Well, there's this more complicated story. Yeah. You know, it seems seems like uh, somebody invented it for the liner notes.
1: Whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, there was some, I, I don't know, there was some serendipity to it. Here's something else about uh, serendipity, though I seem to have skipped this story. i got to come back to it.
0: I imagine some tete-a-tete between Stan Well, here, here's, and Astrid. Well, here's some and, serendipity.
1: Yeah. Here's some serendipity. I'll just do briefly 30 seconds, okay? Right. So, you know, uh, Alan Menken, uh, you know, wrote uh, the music for The Little Mermaid, and they wanted to modernize it or to bring it up to date or do something with it, to, to bring it uh, so that the score would most, better match the live-action version. And they brought in Lynn manuel Miranda to write some new songs with Alan Menken uh, because uh, his partner in writing initially had passed away a few years ago. So uh, here's the funny thing. The question from the Times is, what was it like working with Lynn manuel Miranda on new songs for The Little Mermaid? Answer. For Mencken. It was a lot of fun because I knew about uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda by reason of the fact that Miranda went to Hunter College Elementary School with my niece, and I would always hear about this little boy, Lin-Manuel, and how he was obsessed with a little mermaid. <laughs> how weird is that? Yep. Okay. I did want to say something because this has struck me as very interesting. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, passed away and uh, 81 years old. And he's responsible for all these bombings. Um, And he's been in prison for quite some time. Uh, I either didn't know or have forgotten over the years, a lot of the details of this. And I'm not going to go into great details about this. But there's some things about this that are pretty darn interesting. Uh, And I'll just mention them briefly. Kaczynski... As it turned out, uh, uh, was, uh, you know, very high IQ guy, uh, went to Harvard at a young age, became a math professor, and then became a recluse. And as a recluse... He dropped out. Dropped out. Dropped out of society. And um, it, it, was, it turned out later that he was responsible for a series of bombings, sending packages or putting things in certain places. And Over it killed people. Quite a few years. 17 years or something like that. All right. So here, here's the deal with this, which I found fascinating, uh, and that is this, and I fully appreciate this. This had been going on for, as you say, 17 years. Um, and then there was a communication from the Union Bomber at that point unknown, saying that he wanted his manifesto published, this right. 35,000 word manifesto. Right. And uh, if that wasn't published, he would continue to do these bombings. And the question was, would the newspapers, in this case, really the New York Times and the Washington Post, publish the manifesto? And apparently they agonized over this uh, as to whether they should do it, whether this was positive or negative, in it was really news or it wasn't. And they consulted a great deal with the Department of Justice, with law enforcement, Mm -hmm. who very much wanted to see it published for a lot of reasons. They Mm -hmm. felt it might help them track them. They felt it might actually... Uh, but it's also like number of bombs. giving
0: money to the hostage. Ships.
1: Exactly right, because they're saying it's that catering to this, and yes. as a journalist, do you want to participate in this? So you want to encourage this? Right, right. So there's know. a lot of uh, agonizing that's written about in the newspaper about it. The Times doesn't even want to talk about it. And one of the people who made the decision don't even want to talk about it, uh, even though they're still around. Um, but here's what happens: so they publish it, right, and then. Uh, a woman uh, named, what's her name? Linda Patrick, who's an associate philosophy professor who's vacationing in Paris, reads the manifesto, or at least a fair bit of it. Right. Okay. And at first, jokingly, according to the Times, and then insistently, she tells her husband.
0: This sounds like your brother. This your sounds like brother.
1: This sounds like your eccentric, loner brother. Who's her husband? Her husband is David Kaczynski. Mm -hmm. this causes him to read the manifesto online his jaw dropped and he said right away that's my brother ted and then he contacts law enforcement and leads them finding ted kaczynski and arresting them how crazy is that and here's the thing that's even crazier than anything that the manifesto was taken on a life of its own right today right and the manifesto which was very much uh was arguing that the damage to the environment and the alienating effects of technology, I'm reading now, were so heinous that the social and industrial underpinnings of modern life should be destroyed. That was the thesis of the manifesto. Well, some people have taken the manifesto up today, quite apart from Ted Kaczynski, at least I'd like to think so, saying that whoever wrote the manifesto, Ted, was prescient about the dangers of global warming, about the effects of technology and the internet, which didn't exist at the time Kaczynski was writing. And it, the manifesto has a follow.
0: And, and his uh, um, writings uh, get a lot of uh,
1: interest. Yeah. It, it's know? a crazy, crazy story. It's a crazy story. All right. So finally, uh, yeah. Does it all... Maybe that all justifies publishing at the end of the day? Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. As you say, it's a little bit like a hostage situation. And finally, this this is something that goes nowhere, but I'll just mention it. You know, the, the Wall Street Journal every... Week has uh, something in their book section Uh, they ask uh, an author uh, who's a current author to mention several titles that he finds particularly interesting usually they pertain to the theme of this person's latest book and this is called Five Best on the Eternal Questions and I I read these because they're mildly interesting and this was easily the most interesting one I've read again this is called Five Best on the Eternal Questions it's not always eternal questions And uh, the descriptions of the books and the reason why this person finds it compelling are very interesting. And and the books range from the Brothers Karamazov to the autobiography of Malcolm X to Mrs. Bridge, which we both read and enjoyed. Mrs. Bridge.
0: I mean, it's, again, interesting to see someone bring that up. Yeah. Because when I have recommended Mrs. Bridge to people... I have gotten some of the worst reactions ever.
1: But, Tamsin, it's... it's, it's
0: I loaned that book. I I sent a copy of that book to Cindy Gompert. Yes. (laughs) She read it. Yeah. She sent it back to me. She said, I can't wait to get rid of this. I hate this book.
1: All right. So this is a book. It's now grouped with the Brothers Karamazov and Autobiography of Malcolm X, which are obviously big, uh, weighty titles. And what's interesting, most interesting to me is that the person who's writing this uh, who's collected these books uh, and sees a similarity is Ken Jennings, the Jeopardy host. Seems uh, like
0: he knows a lot of stuff.
1: I don't know. He's Well, he them. is
0: the uh, author of the book, A Hundred Places, Places to See After You Die A Travel Guide to the Afterlife.
1: Do you know anything about that no, book? No, I don't. All right, I we'll don't. have to look into that.
0: But it sounds intriguing. It turns, yeah, he knows
1: stuff. I guess so. We don't watch Jeopardy. So we don't know too much about him. So I'm not reading this because well, I'm a Jeopardy You don't
0: recognize him either?
1: I recognize the name, name. but I, I don't think I've ever seen – Je- I haven't seen a Jeopardy episode for 25 years. So um, it was interesting. That's all I'm saying. It was, it was his, his description of what, what – He's the
0: Jeopardy host now. You know, I understand.
1: I understand. He's the new Alex he, Trebek. He has a lot of – Look, I, I'm an Art Fleming guy. Do you know what that means? No. no. Art Fleming was the original host of Jeopardy. So be, before was, Alex no, Trebek, no, 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 no. I said, no, I'm not making this up. So I don't, to no, me. that's
0: fine, but. Uh, Alex
1: Trebek is a, is a Johnny come lately. So when I, when I would be, when I was 14 years old or 12 years old, and I was out sick in school, and you're putting on television, you know, during the day, which was a very exciting, you're watching television during a weekday, you know, 11, 30, 12 o'clock. I'm watching Jeopardy with Art Fleming. That's, that's Jeopardy. This reminds me. Yeah
0: of, um, when I would be, uh, you know, uh, I went to afternoon kindergarten, I guess. Yeah. Because sometimes I would turn, you know, I'd be watching TV before I went to kindergarten. Yeah. And, um, often what was on was Jack LaLanne.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And, uh, so, uh, I remember those shows, you know, uh, I remember Jack LaLanne I remember how he looked exactly. Well, sure. the funny thing is I've been reading, I've been listening to an audible copy of the popular book, Lessons in Chemistry. Which you like. Which was a fun, fun book. Yeah. Lessons in Chemistry. Uh, really liked it. And, um, it, you know, it has a character in it that could have been, could have gone the wrong direction and been the Unabomber.
1: Right. But
0: uh, is not. Um, but anyway, um, the narrator for this book. Yeah pronounces Jack Lalane as Jack Lalan.
1: Which is awful. Which
0: is ridiculous. Yeah. Because because he was, you know, he, he was a big Everybody part knew Jack of, Oh Yeah. I mean he was a celebrity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea that you would and you know he's mentioned frequently throughout the book. Mm-hmm. So why they let that go through their
1: uh It's inexcusable. Yeah. Inexcusable. All right. So, uh, interesting. All right. It's still raining, which is great news. Uh, and uh, that's what we have this week. We're going to be in the theater next next couple of days. So we'll come back we'll report, report on Leopoldstadt.
0: Leopoldstadt. So,
1: until then, uh, this is Dan Abuhoff.
0: And Tamsin Granger. <laughs> Dan and Tamsin. No,
1: no it's Tamsin and Dan reading <laughs> oh, the come paper. On.
0: Today we're kind of Dan and
1: Tamsin. As it should right. be. We'll but see we'll you next back. week. We'll see what happens next week.